Good morning, Jamie. Good morning, Jamie. How are you? I'm doing pretty good. Happy February. Yeah, it's the first, so we uh, get into my birth month, which is always... Ooh, when is your birthday? Uh, my birthday is February 6th, so it's sometime next week. Uh, that's right. I knew. I knew it was in the beginning because yeah. I'm, I'm a first week. Uh, I'm a April 4th. For foe. I'm foe foe kind of guy. Yeah, mine always falls around the Super Bowl. Oh, like every, yeah, every, every few years, the Super Bowl's on my birthday. Uh, so there's that. Wow. Cool. Yeah. So happy birthday. It's, oh, thank you. Thank you. I guess we will. I'll, I'll be 30 by the time we record next time. Holy shit. You're now you're in your thirties. I will be. Yeah. But you're like a real like dad and stuff now. I am. <laughs> I'm, I'm like an old, I'm really getting into dadding. I'm uh, getting old. Um, I remember the Keith at the, the UT Keith at school at college. Yeah. I, dude, I saw some pictures of myself from college. I had the most ridiculous baby face. I don't know how you took me seriously when we were. Uh, well, yeah. Meet up like going stuff. in front of clients. This is my uh, this is my younger brother. Yeah. He's, <laughs> he's just finishing up yeah, high school computer science class. He's learning some stuff. He's <laughs> going to go work on his calculus homework. But <laughs> be in bed by 10 now. Uh-huh. Oh man, dude, I never stay up till 10 now. Child, child labor laws, man. Child yep. labor laws. <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Enough about uh my youth. Uh Yeah, that's but, that's gone. Fuck that. Uh-huh. It's, it doesn't exist anymore. But how how was your week or two weeks really? So it's been two weeks since we recorded. Well, I I finished what I wanted to finish. Um 95% of the way there. I was waiting. It. But to be honest, I'm like probably the worst programmer of all time. I would say you're not the worst. It would be worse if you shipped all the stuff that you didn't need to ship, right? Like if yeah, you so went and built the image magic thing and then all that stuff, oh, then it would be oh, way worse. <laughs> like I did. <laughs> so let me take you back through memory lane here and show you where I started and where I'm at. And, and this is a problem I have um, just a lot of times, just not in this big of a, this long of a period of time. Mm-hmm. I, and so let's go back to like November when I started this active backgrounds work mm-hmm. and that at that point I was like, you know, we're probably going to run this on the client and um, it's going to be JavaScript and it's going to do kind of this transition thing. And so I built that mm-hmm. uh, in JavaScript um, using CSS and all this stuff uh, for two reasons. One, uh, can, what does this look like on a client? I wanted to find out. And two, um, like, what does it look like? What does it feel like? All that stuff. So I did that. That took a couple days. And the demo was cool. Demo was cool. It wasn't like a full-fledged demo. It just kind of, you know, we didn't get data and stuff. It was just a standalone. Yeah, it was a proof of concept. Throw away proof of concept. Mm-hmm. And then I realized, uh, well, I'm not going to, we're going to be releasing this on all these different clients. And I don't want to, like, reinvent the wheel in Swift and reinvent the wheel in JavaScript and uh, we probably can't do we can't do anything like this on like the Amazon show or something like that. So I was like, we should probably do this on the server. And so that's when I went down and built another kind of proof of concept. We were thinking, oh, what were we thinking then? We weren't. I wasn't using Image Magic. Uh, we started with Image Magic. Yeah, maybe it was. So I built that whole thing with Image Magic, and then thinking, okay, uh, well, let's let's do this all on the server. Let's mod- modify the image ourselves and. And do all this stuff. And um, 
Oh, there's also a period in there where we were going to make a video and kind of just play the video back in, in different frame rates and things like that. Oh, I forgot about uh, that one. Yeah. Yeah. So that I never implemented, but we talked about it and researched that a lot. And then I built the image magic version. I was like, yeah, this is how we're going to do it. Build it all, TDD'd it up really nice. And then realized it just fell over on like a, a not, you know, a not a laptop. <laughs> yeah. If you don't have 16 gigs of RAM, turns out just doesn't work. Right. But in my mind, it's like, oh, this is going to be a server, not some laptop, you know? Mm -hmm. And I didn't really even think about um, the resources needed for that, to be honest. Until we deployed it and realized, oh, this kills the server, destroys everything. So then that's when last time I talked about, let's use um, ImageX. You know, I, I talked to a, a friend of mine. And shout out to Kevin. And he's like, yeah, why don't you just use ImageX and let ImageX do the processing? You know, you can pass in a blur parameter. And there you go. And I was like, oh, this is cool. And I built that. And I realized, oh, well, you can just point this image, image, um, ImageX uh, bucket to an S3 bucket. It'll sync up. And then you can add your parameters and stuff. So I built that. Mm -hmm. uh, and then realized that there's a delay in between the syncing of the S3, the ImageX uh, bucket and the S3 bucket. So it takes like five or, you know, seconds or so for it to sync up, download the image, I'm assuming from S3 mm -hmm. to ImageX. And so that didn't work. And I was like, well, I could start it earlier before the Pomodoro starts. And then I got to thinking, I was like, wait a minute. Unsplash, ImageX powers Unsplash. <laughs> if I could do this in ImageX, putting the blur parameter, why can't I just do it right to, image, uh, to Unsplash? Now, I looked at this. I looked when, when we said ImageX could do this, and I knew ImageX powered Unsplash. I was like, well, why can't you just do this on Unsplash? And instead of me typing in question mark blur equals on some image on Unsplash, I looked in the documentation, found no reference of blur. I was like, oh, they must not be able to do it on Unsplash. And that's why I figured out the ImageX thing. Mm. And then when I said that delay thing, I, I just tried, I tried to go into Unsplash uh, with the URL that I get from the API for a random photo and tried the blur right on the, on the Unsplash photo, and it worked. <laughs> so... If we go back to where we were in December and I built this whole freaking application, it wasn't that long. It didn't take that long, but I built it quote unquote the right way. I didn't, didn't do a proof of concept because I, I figured the most of it would work until here we are as an application that really all it does is download, gets a random image from Unsplash and creates a list of URLs at a given time. That version of what I ended up with <laughs> Could have been two hours, you know? Yep. Yeah, that's a... But look at but all of the, the technical debt you don't have. <laughs> look at all the just, code you're not keeping anymore. <laughs> but it is, it's crazy. Like, why, why didn't I just take a minute, sit down and think about it instead of me? I always think like I have to think in code mm -hmm. um, a lot of times. And sometimes that's good. Sometimes that's necessary. But a lot of times if you just sit and think and be alone with your thoughts and say, okay, well, what's the easiest way I can do this? And let me just try some things that aren't in code and see what happens. 
and I would have ended up at that so much quicker and I wouldn't have spent, I don't know. I probably, I wish I would track this time, um, but because we don't have the syncing into time tracking yet for chronic, I don't, Mm -hmm. but if I tracked my time on this, I probably spent, I would guess probably a week, week's worth of full-time work on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe a little more, but who cares, right? Let's say a week. And I could have reduced that 40 hours to, to two. Yeah. Moved on to a separate task on the same day. Yeah. So the good news is um, I'm 90. It works. I got it all implemented. Uh, the only problem is every time a new timer starts, it automatically goes and, and gets a new um, list of quote unquote media, new list of URLs, with the blurring mm-hmm. factor. And two problems with that. One, I don't want to do that. And there's no need to go and get a new one every time. And then two, if you would start a Pomodoro on your iOS device and then looked on your uh, Mac app, it, it wouldn't be the same because there's no like, there's no saying, hey, this this workflow instance doesn't has this um, active background. So um, that's what I'm doing right now. I'm building in the the idea of saving like plugins can save state to a given workflow. Okay, and then other timers can read that state and then do what they, the plugin needs to do. Gotcha. Yeah. So, um, the state of the plugin is stored with the process, the timer process on the server side on Elixir. And then it's sent back, um, via WebSockets uh, in where it needs to be sent back. So like when you're connected to your account or when you, uh, start a workflow or you get a workflow started, things like that. So, that is what I'm working on now so that the same Pomodoro instance can have the same active background uh, across devices. And, it, and it, it'll go out and find, it'll go out instead of creating a new one to add another endpoint to the active background. So it goes out and finds that specific um, ID. Gotcha. Okay. So the good news, like the good news is we're not really storing anything now. We're not using ImageX, so I don't need to pay for that. Mm-hmm. I'm not using uh, S3, uploading anything to S3. It's just... Literally just a list of URLs. Yeah, so now this thing can run on a super cheap box. Exactly. It takes basically no resources at all to run. So uh, my goal for the next time is to finish that up. And I I don't really know what to start on next. There's a few directions I can go. My next highest priority is fixing uh, kind of two small bugs uh, that, that don't allow the most optimal experience on mobile, which is you get logged out still after a few days. For some reason, mm. don't know why. It's it has something to do with where I'm storing that token, I think. So or the token itself maybe expired. So I got to look into that. And then uh, it doesn't recover from when the uh, iPhone goes to sleep, or that it doesn't reconnect to the timer. So the timer just stays where it was before the phone went to sleep. So I'm gonna fix those two bugs um, and finish finish active backgrounds by next time. And then I don't know really where to go next. I was thinking you may have some insight on this. Um, I don't know if I should go towards the Mac app or if I should finish. There's one more thing I want on the iOS device that I use in Pomodoro's a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, sorry, timer, focus, timer, yeah. interval. As long um, as you don't tell me how long your Pomodoro's are each time, I'll just <laughs> be ignorant of the fact that they're super long. Yeah. I don't know if I should add sounds because sounds I really use to signal session is done. Mm-hmm. Or if I should start on the Mac app. I'm, I'm leaning towards adding sounds mm-hmm. so that the iOS app is kind of, quote-unquote, complete. 
Yeah, that makes sense. In terms of like the minimal thing you can do with it. Yeah, I think you should pick whatever is going to get you to a usable state the fastest. Mm. And yeah. granted, one of the big, you know, selling points of Chronic is the fact that you can access your stuff across any device, really. But if mm-hmm. you can't use it on a single device, then you're you're still stuck, right? So I think getting it yep. to where a fully usable situation on one client is great because the server's already like figured out really in a way, right? It's basically now mm-hmm. you're just like, I need to implement client A, implement client B. And um, I'm fairly confident that the state of all these things is going to be managed properly behind the scenes. So you can just layer those things on as you go. But yeah, like for you to be able to use this for yourself, you need to have at least one device that can actually run it. Yeah, I like that. I like that idea. Yeah, I think I will stick with the iOS app. There is one more thing that that doesn't make it quote unquote complete. Like if I were to give this to other people Mm -hmm. to use, and that's the ability to change on device, like what your workflow is. Ah, right. Yeah. So I could like, like for me, I don't do the standard Pomodoro stuff. Obviously we've talked about that. So I could easily go on the server, right. On on the interactive Elixir command line and, and create another workflow for myself. Mm -hmm. I'll probably wait until uh, I hear back from some people and, and like, I don't know if most people just use the standard Pomodoro work, workflow or not. So that's just a, probably a decision until next time. Gotcha. So are you talking the ability to create one? Yeah. Create one or like set a set, a certain one as your, as your current one, gotcha. as your default okay. or whatever. Yeah. So. Well, and we had gone back and forth a little bit on how that was going to be done. And yeah. Yeah. So there's, there's a little bit of a design challenge yep. there for mm-hmm. what it's going to look sure. like to go from one a uh, workflow to the next yeah cool so i will uh I'll, I'll stick with the with the iphone then i like that idea um and then my the other thing i'm starting to think about is more on the marketing side um i kind of want to get together more of a an end design piece for the for the front page because uh, right now it's just kind of thrown up there and it doesn't really do anything and then uh, i want to start talking to people talking to possible users and potential users so i'm like researching like where these people hang out or how I can get a hold of like people that are fanatic about the, like the Pomodoro workflow as much as I am. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I'm starting to kind of look at where these people are and um, if they use apps and stuff and kind of coming up with a survey idea uh, because I want to get like more information from people like, what do they usually start Pomodoro's on their iOS app or on their machine or somewhere else? Do they use, do they currently use apps? Do they currently use physical timers and why? So I want to get answers to those questions, but I need to like get a good pool of people to, to survey. And mm-hmm. and then I'm also looking at taking uh, the creator of po- the Pomodoro technique puts on online courses. Oh, neat. Yeah. So I think I'm going to sign up. He's got like several uh, different uh, levels uh, so, and as you go deeper and deeper, I think it's up to four levels. As you go deeper and deeper, it gets more expensive. Mm-hmm. So I, I want to try out the first level. And it's just basically like a one day, three hour session where he walks you through like, you know, stuff that I already know, but I, I like, I want to hear it from him. Mm-hmm. And I also want to listen to the other people in, uh, in that same class and just see what they're saying. Okay. Yeah. That's a good idea. Things like that. Yeah. And so the first level class is like 95 bucks or something. Mm-hmm. So, and I think it's like February 3rd is the next one. That's Monday. That's Monday. It's the day after Super Bowl. 
three days before your birthday. As we there you go, yes. So yeah, I'm, I'm probably going to do. Okay, cool. Yeah. That's all I got. That man. would give you an interesting insight into um, kind of onboarding people into the technique too, of like really using timers as a way to box out their time in a way. As you'll get mm-hmm. to kind of see what like, presumably people are going to be taking this that are kind of rookies, if you will, in the, in the Pomodoro mm-hmm. space. It's not going to be that many people who like are super familiar with uh, the Pomodoro technique. Yep. So yeah, yep. I think that could be good for you to just see like, okay, what could a user in this position of their like educational life cycle for this kind of technique? Uh, what are the hurdles potentially for them? Or what are things that I can, you know, barriers that I can lower that make it easier for them? Because if you're focusing on the whole, uh, the B2C side of things, right? If you're just selling to like uh, consumers, then you really, you need a lot of people for this to be, you know, to to be sustainable, really, right? If, the, if this mm-hmm, is something you want mm-hmm. to be your only thing. So, yeah, I think that that'll give you a lot of really cool insight. And then I bet what you'll end up finding is like you're going to have to go peruse like Facebook groups for productivity and timers. Uh, <laughs> that's, what, that's my hunch. Or you're, yeah. We'll yeah. That's a good idea, actually. I haven't, well, I try to not think about Facebook, but yeah, that's a good idea. Um, and then actually, if that one's like, if I'm getting good insights and I think it's useful, I'll probably step up and do the second level one, which is, you know, it's like $600 mm-hmm. and just, and they go over more stuff and, and more uh, scenarios of, you know, how to handle certain outside situations. And it, and it might be good for bringing stuff back into the product. And like you said, the onboarding stuff. Mm-hmm. So cool, man. How about you? Uh, yeah. My, the last couple of weeks have been, uh, pretty, what's the best way to put this? I didn't work on a ton of side stuff because I was focusing on, uh, we were going to talk about this last time, but, uh, I'd been doing a lot of accessibility programming inside of react. And this is really my first time digging into it too much, especially when you're building, you know, components that have some amount of dynamism to them and needing them to be. Uh, like have good keyboard navigation and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's been my big struggle for a while. Like I went and built a like an accessible tab component so that I can have, you know, tabs and panels and swapping between those things. And that one, I had to learn a bunch of things just because I don't do React super often. I learned a lot of things about like building like nested components, not not like composable components, but like where the component has a child component by name that does mm-hmm. specific things. Mm-hmm. So figuring out how to do that was pretty cool. And then I moved on from there to doing this navigation. The navigation for the site that I'm working on is like deeply, it's like three tiered kind of menuing in a way. So like you, there are top level sections and then are headings. And then inside of there, you have sections. And then inside of sections, you have the actual pages. And so you need to be able to navigate through these things that, you know, the top two levels don't actually change the page at all. And then once you're down to the bottom level, they um, they do. But I wanted this to be in in accessibility land. This is the the, the menu. Like so, if you're it's an aria menu type. And mm-hmm. so I'm building this thing, and I'm like, okay, so I have a recursive type, right? Where like I need a like I can at any point have menu items, which are the the, the you know the leaf nodes. And so I'm going about building this thing and I'm still like, I just got super stuck and I actually had to bench the project because I was like, there's legitimately no way I can finish what I'm doing here and do it right and have time to do the, the other work that I need to do. So that that was kind of a, a bummer moment for me. But then I moved back into doing um, like teaching stuff and whatnot. And 
and you know, that's my day job anyway, but uh, I had mm-hmm. some good outside stuff come in, just like friends that I've had for years that I was like, oh, I think you'd be really good at programming. Uh, would you care if I, you know, teach you a little bit or whatever? And this was before I was ever did this per as my profession, I guess. And, you know, stuff like kind of didn't stick. But then, like, they randomly reached out to me, like separate people, which was pretty neat in this small time frame. And be like, hey, just wanted to let you know that I'm like really digging into this stuff now. I think I, this is, is actually where I want to go with my career. And I uh, would have never done it without you sort of kind of pushing me in this direction a while back. But then that brought up questions of uh, object-oriented programming. And so that's pretty cool, man. So like that makes you feel good about all that. Do you know what the like catalyst was that these two people reached out? No, I mean, these people don't even know each other. Just kind of funny. Weird. But yeah, it was just coincidental on the time. But uh, then there were some also like I basically was just getting more involved in like some some public conversation or not really public conversation, but um, just, you know, helping people out and explain things. And I realized and this is where that I was trying to drive with us is explaining object oriented programming is so weird. And I like it, it has not gotten any easier for me over the, the course of many attempts at explaining it. It's one of those weird hurdles for people. Because I think, you know, even like in Python, the syntax is a little weird when you define a method because there's an implicit argument uh, that gets thrown in. Uh, you know, in Ruby, we just have magical self inside. And in Python, self is the first parameter to a method. But then when you call the method, it you call it with the other parameters and not that one. So like if you have a method that has no arguments, uh, uh, when it's defined, it has one parameter. So, so there's like weird mm-hmm. stuff like that. So kind of trying to explain these things, I realize that I've done it a couple different times and like I've gotten really good feedback on how I explained it. But then I try to explain it to somebody who's like a completely competent um, like tech person. And I realized that I was just making it more confusing for them and uh, really made me question my ability to explain things. Well, so is that like an issue with explaining object oriented programming or is that an issue with explaining the weirdness of Python? Yeah, I guess maybe it could be the weirdness of, of that. I, I think I find, and so this might be my like, you know, bias of of just thinking that I could, mm-hmm. but I, I think like explaining object-oriented programming would be kind of easy. But then I also think like explaining baseball to somebody that doesn't know baseball mm. would be easy because it's just baseball. But like if you ever sat down and tried to explain it to somebody. It's kind of weird. So like I remember when uh, we were working together I, you know, at that point, I had been working at Action for a while. I'd been using Python for quite a while. Um, the first programming course I ever took was Intro to Object-Oriented Programming. I'd been doing all these things for a while, even had been using Ruby. But uh, it wasn't until we were doing, and I was working on an iOS app that, and working with Objective-C that, like, the concept of object-oriented programming actually clicked. Like, it was really funny. Like, I'd been using an object-oriented language or three for for years at this Mm -hmm. point. And, like, I would say at that point, I still didn't even really understand object orientation. And Well, you're only in high school. Yeah, that's true. That's true. I was in in college. I, uh... (laughs) No, I just... So, yeah, it's one of those things that I... And, you know, at that point, people had thought that I completely, like, had at least a decent understanding of what I was doing, right? Like, you hired me. So that was kind of a funny, <laughs> funny situation. Sucka. Sucka. But yeah, like I, you know, I was speaking at user groups and uh, doing 
doing other things. And then I come back and I go, holy crap, dude. It's like, I've been doing this for like two years and I didn't even understand what I was doing. Yeah, I think there's a difference between explaining. To me, like object-oriented programming has, you know, concrete, Mm -hmm. you know, four or five different ideas and concepts, right? Yeah. The abstractions and information like hiding and things like that. But like actually... How that is implemented in a language, I think, is a different like leap and like having to have somebody sit down and explain like, hey, this is a feature in Ruby and this is how it um, this is the object oriented concepts that it's implementing, mm-hmm. I think is a different jump than actually knowing what object oriented programming is. Yeah, that's that's true, I guess. So that's cool. Yeah. So that's been me just struggling through uh, how to, t- how to teach stuff. Uh, and like I go back and I watch like some some of my old lectures on object orientation that I've had people reach out to me and be like, this is the best explanation of object oriented programming I've ever heard. And I'll be like, oh, thanks, man. Awesome. But then I go back to it and I go, yeah, it was, it was OK. I also get got complaints. I, so I used in my example uh, the last time I taught it, I used the uh, a car as the object type that I was teaching. As you do. Yeah. And turns out. If you have a bunch of people who are like, dude, I don't own a car. Uh, <laughs> so when you have like, um, I had cars and like a tire was another class so I could show um, composability, you know, like composition, like, oh, okay, we can, you know, this car has a tire uh, attribute on it and we could just pass a string in here or we can pass in a, an object. And then later on we can show polymorphism and it doing the actual duct typing and calling the right methods and stuff. Mm -hmm. And then I put like a snow tire as like a subclass of tire uh, so that I could add like (laughs) chain width onto it and then calculate the Mm -hmm. circumference of the whatevers. And yeah, so I get some feedback that's just like, dude, stop talking about tires. Not everybody have cars. Like there's some pretty funny feedback. You don't need to own a car to know what a car is. I don't think unless it's like, I did. I mean, granted, the tire class that I implemented, I had like, oh, okay, we're going to calculate the circumference of a tire based on the the various like parameters that you you know the <laughs> that you pass in mm-hmm. when creating it. There's so, data that you have. Yeah, so there there's some funny things in there. Have you been studying access? Going back to accessibility, mm-hmm. have you been like studying like because accessibility, the actual field, you know, there's people that study this and implement this. Uh, I have friends that do this and that's their only focus. Mm-hmm. And they're very good at explaining like why you shouldn't do something and should do something for enabling accessibility and not enabling accessibility. Mm-hmm. Are you like familiar with that, those things? Um, do you guys have as a company like specific things that you need to implement for the ally type of stuff? This or? is me doing it right like yeah. it's uh it's not like a company mandate or i mean the project's really not even official as a thing right it's something i'm working on as like a proof of concept and or some but i need to build it in such a way that i can like give it to other people if it works out so yeah i'm looking you know doing the research into these things well if you ever need some uh need some uh hit some people up with some 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 deep knowledge of that just mm. let me know I okay few people i can point you to it's a big like it's a big field man there's a lot to learn yep exactly and people always think about this a lot mm-hmm. i will this, say uh, or at the last yes lens like you know? accessibility stuff like the ESLint mm-hmm. ally mm-hmm. thing is amazing mm-hmm. like <laughs> when just just like i build a thing and i don't even think about it and they're like hey dude uh yeah that's a non-clickable element that you added a click handler to like don't do that use a button or whatever mm-hmm. or like you have an anchor tag yeah. here it needs to That's actually cool. link to something and i'm like thank you i would have just used it you know because like being 
a person who doesn't have any sort of accessibility challenges there, I look at it and I'm like, this can be literally anything. I can make the computer allow me to click anything. Yeah, so it's really nice to have that sort of checking involved uh, when, you know, the billion things are being compiled in JavaScript. Are you still building this in um, using Gatsby? Yep, same thing. Have you seen um, Little Caesar's new app? No. They're, they have a they have their new like delivery pickup uh-huh. app that they created because now they do delivery. Um, it's it's a full Gatsby site. It's all built in Gatsby. Oh, cool! But it's like a delivery application, nice. which is like pretty sweet. Like you can search for like a, a store local to you and then choose and create an order and like and it's just all Gatsby. It's pretty. That's pretty neat. It's pretty yeah. wild. Yeah, it's and obviously it's fast as fast as hell. So yeah. Oh, it's, a, it's pretty cool. like anytime I show somebody, I'm like, oh, you want to see this thing that I'm working on? And I show them, they're like, dude, that's amazing. Yeah. Like, cause it's so fast <laughs> compared to what they're used so to with. And I'm like, yeah, it's pretty sweet. And then like yeah. the theming stuff in it is pretty neat. And there's, there's a lot of cool things that uh, I've gone into. I've had a lot of fun working on the project, but cool, man. Yeah. So in terms of the next two weeks for me, uh, I'm probably, oh, I did actually, you know how we were joking about how we get those emails from Dave Thomas's Elixir course that tell us, mm-hmm. I actually did go back in mm-hmm. just like I started over uh, through that. And it was funny, like in the first, you know, three or four lessons in this course or whatever that are covering things that I obviously know, like I know how to, mm-hmm. you know, create a module in elixir and do this Mm -hmm. there's like i learned some stuff about iex that i didn't know and (laughs) there's some some pretty funny things there i'm just like this is why you take a course from a guy like this who like and also it's nice that it's a course targeted at people who already know what they're doing in a way like they're like you're a programmer i'm gonna explain this to you like you're a programmer and you are just gonna understand the jargon that i'm throwing at you for these things and that is yeah i I appreciate that. that Because I have to a lot of times do that build courses for people who don't know anything about programming. And that is, you know, it can be a bummer for people who do. So yeah. I would recommend that course to anybody who wants to learn Elixir. It, although there yeah, are I'm gonna, that's a good like, idea. It's not updated for like changes that have happened in mix for recent things like mm-hmm. the, the structure of a project when you like mix create. Um, mm-hmm. or mix and knit. I can't even remember the command, but when you create a new project with mix, mix new, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, the directory structure is a little different now or whatever, but yeah, from like, it doesn't matter though, in the grand scheme of like what you're trying to learn. So that's kind of nice. Yeah. I had to look up, um, cause I want to make sure that this, uh, state for this act for the workflow was getting in inside mm-hmm. correctly and not, not like, I just want to see it for real. So I was like, how do you start observer? In this instance, when your um, when your web server starts up, so you can start Observer, and I just had to go back and, and learn all that mm-hmm. stuff. But yeah, there's a lot I still don't know about the uh, yeah, and it's got so much cool stuff too, right? Like Elixir yeah. just has, and the Erlang ecosystem just has so many cool things. Like Observer is really neat <laughs> to be able cool. to go and just like look at oh, this is all of my stuff in memory that I'm really caring about right mm-hmm. now, and. Mm-hmm. Has graphs. Yeah, it's like, like you can visually look at it. You can check out the the information on it. There's there's so many neat things yep. in there. And then what was the other thing I was messing with? Oh, like dialyzer stuff was pretty neat. Like uh, yeah. I like the idea of you know because I really like type systems. Like I'm a I'm a big fan. If if Haskell was reasonable to actually use, I would probably do it. Just because I think the type system is so cool. Like I I love messing with Elm as a front end thing, but mm-hmm. I like, I don't do it mm-hmm. because there's just, I mean, the, the ecosystems 
so small for that, really, that and if I want to build something that I want other people to work on, I can't write it in Elm, which is one of those bummers, I guess. But like having that kind of type system and um, even if it's like gradual typing, which is essentially what it would be with Dialyzer and, and Elixir, it's just super nice to be able to have your applications tell you like, hey, dude, you're calling this with a type that doesn't make sense. Like you just don't do that. It's yeah. so nice. Yeah, I should start implementing some of that stuff. All right, cool, man. Uh, anything nope. else? Uh, anything? Oh, yeah. Uh, things I'm working on in the next two the weeks. Next right, right. Yeah. Um, I'm probably going to continue working with, I want to continue going through Dave Thomas's course, obviously, but I'm going to go back to an Elixir project that I was working on to uh, do like inventory management, basically, for my Pokemon cards that I was using live view for. I never showed you this. I think it was pretty cool. Like live view is really neat. You didn't show me. But so I'll probably continue working on that uh, as a thing just to kind of continue working with Elixir on something since my goal is to, you know, really master Elixir and its concepts this year. So that's that's my goal. I want to uh, I would love to actually get that thing deployed so that I could use it uh, without like not, you know, not running it on my laptop, but like, you know, get a couple other uh, friends who play cards in there to uh, actually poke it a little bit and figure things out. But I was going down a weird route of like deconstructing the Pokemon digital card game so I could rip the assets from it from a like the Unity application mm-hmm. so that I could have good looking card images and the thing it was it got real wonky real fast and I figured out how to do it roughly but uh yeah that's that's for that's a challenge for a different day so so that's my cool goal. man Let's do some live view stuff and uh cool man that sounds good cool. uh so this is like our longest podcast so we should probably- yeah. Cut it. Sounds good. I will talk to you in two weeks. All right. See you.